Thanks for being here. My name is Fred. I am the lead pastor here. Um, And here is what I hope happens today. Um, I hope that you are inspired to walk in more faith and trust trust with Jesus today than you had yesterday, and even more so tomorrow than you do today. But here's specifically what I hope and what I've been praying for and what we prayed for before the service would happen. Um, I, I hope and pray uh, that you have uh, a moment with God today, uh, a moment where you know he is with you, a moment where you know that he is present, and a moment that you know that, that he has always been with you in your life. And so what I hope happens is that you not leave here today with more information, uh, but I hope that you leave here today having engaged with the God who loves you and the God who created you. And so with that, let me pray for us. Jesus, this is your word, and without it, we aren't a changed people. Without it, um, we are a people who are simply left to ourselves. Um, And if we believe the words in this book, we see that's not a good way to live. And so, Father, I pray for your spirit to, to, to be in this place. I pray, uh, well, I know that your spirit is in this place. I pray uh, that your spirit is known in this place. And that you encourage us where we need encouragement and you convict us where we need conviction. And that we see and know that you are present with us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 11. We're actually going to do chapters 11 and 12. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Um, And here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a topic that I think will hit home uh, for us today because uh, what I hope happens is that it reminds you of a decision, right? Either a decision that you made a long time ago, a decision that you made recently, maybe a decision that you made this morning, or maybe a decision that you still need to make, and one that's been bouncing around in your head, right? Because as we've been talking about Ezra and Nehemiah in this series called Rebuilders, we've been talking about what God is stirring in you, what he is rebuilding in you. And, and when that question comes up, what is God stirring in you? What is God rebuilding in you? There comes a point where you, you make a decision, right? And, and today we're going to be talking about those tough decisions, those decisions where you evaluate maybe who you are at your core, those, those decisions that make you take an inventory on your life. Uh, and, and, and some of those are big decisions and some of those are little decisions, but all of them kind of make you hit pause to figure out what you're going to do. And all of these, at least the decisions we're going to be talking about today, can be summed up in in one word. It's the word that Carol showed for those of you who are engaging with your family, and it's this. It's sacrifice. Right? It's the word sacrifice. Now, the word sacrifice, according to Webster's Dictionary, means this. Uh, Well, Webster's online. Who uses it? actual dictionary anymore, but Webster's online. Oh, a few of you. Do you have an Encyclopedia Britannica still too? No. All right. Then you're worthless. Uh, Just just a dictionary. Yeah. Who remembers Encyclopedia Britannicas? Oh my gosh. We had them. It was an experience. All right. Anyway, here's the way Webster's describes sacrifice. It's this. It's the act of giving up something you want in order to get something else. Right? That's what makes it a sacrifice. You've got something you want, but you know you have to give that up in order to get something, something else. In other words, it's this exchange. It's, just, it's an exchange for what I want to what I need is another way to think of that, about it. And so a sacrifice is giving up 
what I want for what I need, right? Anybody had to make some sacrificial decisions in their lives? Yeah, anybody had to make any like in the last, let's say, 18, 19 months, right? We do. We have to make these kind of decisions all the time. And now these can be big decisions, right? They can be big decisions about like what kind of house to buy. Do I buy the house that I want Right? Or do I buy the house that I need, that I can afford? Like, like it's those kind of questions. Sometimes those are big. Do I take uh, the job uh, that is promising all this stuff? Or do I take uh, the job that I need? Like some of these are big decisions. But also, y'all, some of them are really small decisions. Right? Some of them are decisions about what do you do when you walk in the door at home? Right? Because sometimes I walk in the door at home and there's always something to be done. Right? There's laundry that needs to be taken out and folded and put away. There's, there's dinner that needs to be helped. There's dishes in the dishwasher. There's always something to do at home. Right? Isn't that right? Now, if you're like me, when I get home from work, I can be kind of tired. And what I want to do is sit down in front of the TV, turn the TV on, and do none of those things that need to get done. Right? That's what I want. But the question is, what do I need? See, I want to just be lazy, right? Because that's, let's be honest, that's what it is. I'm not any less tired than anybody else in my house. I just want to be lazy. But what I need is to serve. I need to help with the laundry. I need to help with the dishes. I need to feed the dog and take the dog out and all those things. It's not what I want. It's what I need. I need to exchange my laziness for service. And that's a really small decision, but it's a small decision that has big implications, doesn't it? Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to see the nation of Israel make a sacrificial decision. And they're going to sacrifice what they want for what they need. And and, and here's what we're also going to see. We're going to see the result of that sacrificial decision. And what I hope happens, too, is that you see those sacrificial decisions, those hard decisions, actually have a result that you may not anticipate. Right, Because in those decisions, we get to experience something greater than, than what we want. We get to experience something greater than what we gave up. We get to experience this unexpected thing that we see in this book. We get to experience this, that a sacrificial decision today actually produces joy tomorrow. Right, A sacrificial decision today produces joy tomorrow. Now, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to see as we work our way through this text. Like, if I was to leave it there, that a sacrificial decision today produces joy tomorrow, I could teach that at any conference, anywhere, for any religion. Because that is a general truth. But what we're going to see is for those of us who are Jesus followers, we're going to see the nation of Israel who who worshipped the God of, of Israel. We're going to see that something happens when God is involved in the process, when you realize that God's presence is with you, that Jesus' presence is with you when you make those hard decisions that actually produces that joy. And that's where that joy comes from. That joy doesn't come from the ability of making a sacrificial decision. The joy comes from knowing that God was present with you the entire time. So let's, let's kind of go through this and, and see this. So look at Nehemiah chapter 11. Let's see how this plays out. Because what we're going to see is some, some pretty clear markers for what a sacrificial decision is. And so if you look at chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, Now the leaders of the people... Uh, lived in Jerusalem. So if you remember, 
uh, in Ezra, we saw the temple being built right. We've seen this series kind of unfold, and we've been all over the Bible with this series to kind of help paint a context to it, right? We've been in Genesis, where we see at the very beginning of creation, we see Adam and Eve, and we see them sin, and we see God show up in the garden after they had sinned, and, and he wants to walk with them. And in the process of that, he, he replaces the leaves that they covered themselves up, up with with animal coverings, and he exchanged what was temporary for what is permanent for them. And we talked about how the story of Genesis isn't just that human sin. We get that, right? If we're honest with ourselves and honest with each other, we realize that's what we do as humans. And if we read the Bible, we see that that plays out to be true over and over and over again. But what we talked about in Genesis is how even in the midst of our sin, God sticks with us. God shows up and he loves us and he cares for us. And then we even talked about in Exodus uh, where we see the nation grew from a family to, to a nation. And, and we see them uh, in, in Exodus and in, in Numbers. We see them wandering through the desert. And, and we see God's presence with them as they're, as they're wandering. And over and over again, we see the nation of Israel be given these promises from God, these covenants with God. And yet they forget them. And they forget that God is with them and they forget that that God loves them. And when they do, that's when they make all kinds of horrible mistakes. And so what God does is he draws the nation back in. When they leave, he never leaves them. He never leaves them on their own. He draws them back in. And this is where Ezra and Nehemiah pick up. It was a season where they were out of the nation of Israel because of their sin. And yet God brought them back. He brought them back from Babylon, and in, in Ezra, he brought them back to rebuild the temple. In Nehemiah, he, he brought them back. They were there to rebuild the wall, and we see God's presence in all of that, and we see God's heart bringing them back, longing to have them back. Well, now we see that the wall is built, and what Nehemiah is telling us is that as they built the wall, the only people that actually lived in the city of Jerusalem were the leaders. The, the people that organized all the people, which meant thousands of people lived outside of the city gates. And so they lived out there where there was pasture land. They lived out there where it was kind of country living, right? Right. And if you've ever lived in a big city, you know what that feels like to move out into the country, right? That's probably why some of us moved to Asheville, right? This is what they did. There was no construction noise in Jerusalem, they lived out in the country. They was, it was a much easier life. And what we're going to see is there's going to be this call. There's going to be this call to repopulate the city of Jerusalem again. And the people of Israel are going to have to make a sacrificial decision. Do they give up what they want living in the country for what they need to do to repopulate the city again? And so here's what we see in these next couple of verses are these two markers, which I hope help us to know if a decision is kind of one of those sacrificial decisions. Let's look. Verse 11b and and how to make those decisions. So the rest of verse 11 says, And now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of the ten remained in other towns. And so here's, here's what's happening. They're doing this ritual that's common to the Old Testament. We even see it once in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where they're doing this thing called the the casting of lots. And so in this case, what they would do is they would take and they would put the name of every family and every household on a tile or a rock. And they would put all those into one basket or box. I don't know what they put it in. And they would reach in and they would draw one out. 
And those would be the families who moved into Jerusalem. And so, in a sense, it was a way to determine God's will, this casting of lots, which is what you see in the book of Acts, is that's how they are determining the will of God. Now, here's what's great about this. Nehemiah is doing this, and what it does is it prevents him from picking favorites. Right, Because we see that in the book of James. In the church, we don't have favorites. And what Nehemiah is doing is, is he's not picking his favorite families to live in the city with him. Or, or even better, he's not picking out his least favorite families to stay in the country. Right? He's leaving it up to And that's what, this, that's what this, this casting of lots is, is it's letting God decide. It's letting God decide who's going to be in. And so sacrificial decisions are based on God's will, right? Because that's the question you ask to move you from what do I want to do to what do I need to do? It's based on God's will. Now, can you imagine as a church if we picked volunteers this way? Wouldn't that be awesome? We just put everybody's name in a basket and said, okay, Jamie Vogel, you are running sound. From now on, congratulations. And we just did it that way. Wouldn't that be great? For us, it would be great. For you, maybe not. But for us, it would be great. But it would take all the guesswork out of it. It'd be like, this is what God wants. This is God's will. Now, now here's the deal. They were selecting who would live in the city and who would stay out. But they were leaving that selection to God's will. But, but I believe this is the first marker to a sacrificial decision. Now, we don't cast lots anymore. What do we use to determine God's will? Well, we have different sources, right? What we have is we have our scriptures. We have the complete scriptures. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament to help us discern if something is, is God's will or, or, is it, or if it's not. Because if it, doesn't, um, if it, if it, if it isn't um, in conjunction with what's in this book, we can be pretty sure it's not God's will. And so at Fellowship, that's why we want you to know the scriptures. That's why in our growth groups we study God's word together because it is this grid that we can run decisions through. Right? Now, early in the year, we talked about this. We talked about this thrive, this image of, of how do you thrive, right? And how do you thrive during the pandemic? How do you thrive in life? And it was this triangle, and I affectionately called it the thrive angle because I thought that was fun. And so, no, if you'd put that up, it's this idea that, that this is how we thrive. We thrive in God's word, right? As, as followers of Jesus, God's word is, is the, the rudder to our ship. But we also thrive with Jesus, like, like we thrive with the Holy Spirit in our lives and in listening to his voice. And that voice is always in harmony with the scriptures. And then we, we thrive for others, right? We, we live in community. We're, we're not in isolation. I heard somebody this week say, if you can do it by yourself, it's probably not church, Right? Because God has designed us to be with four others. It's why even for those of you who are watching online, we are there engaging with you. Right? Because we don't want you to just watch by yourself at home. We want you to realize you are part of a community of Jesus followers. And so we have the church for that. And, and when all of these are working together, we can rest in knowing that, that this decision is God's wills for us. And so, so, so it means this, if all of these you know, God's word, others that you trust and know and have a walk with Jesus and the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus with you. If all of those things speak in unity, you can rest in knowing that a decision is God's will. 
For me, do I choose laziness or do I choose service? That's actually pretty easy to discern, right? Because point in the Bible where laziness is shown as an example to follow. It's not there, right? It's always shown as the example not to follow. God's will speaks with that. The Holy Spirit is actually the one who usually convicts me to get up off the couch and to go serve. So God is speaking. And my trusted group of friends, they would for sure say, Fred, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you need to help. You don't need to sit on the couch. You need to help. And so all of those speak in unity to help, to help make that decision. But here's the deal. God's will isn't the only marker. It's, it's, it's a marker, but not the only marker. Look at verse, verse 2. It says this. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Right? So not only uh, was there this casting of lots to determine God's will, notice what we see here. When, when the names were drawn, something happened. Right? They didn't drop their shoulders and begrudgingly kind of move into the city. They willingly did it. Right? They willingly moved. They willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And so you see, sacrificial decisions aren't just based on the will of God. Sacrificial decisions also require a willing heart. Right? There's a part of it where you have to want to do God's will at some level to be able to do God's will. Now, that's the beauty of God when we look at the scriptures. Sometimes what he will do is he will put you in an environment to where God's will looks really, really good, where maybe it didn't before. Think of the prodigal son, right? The story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. He kept moving farther and farther away from the father, even though the father longed for him to come back. And he got to this moment where he was in a, in a pigsty. And what the pigs were eating looked better uh, than what he was eating. And he realized, you know, home with the father wasn't so bad. And he starts heading back home. And the father has been there all along looking for him and waiting for him to come back. You see... God will put us in places where, where he will make a willing heart look really, really attractive. But to be able to move from what you want to what you need, it does require a willing heart. And so let's be vulnerable here for just a minute. We've all had an unwilling heart, haven't we? We've all seen the scripture and we've been like, yeah, that's good for so-and-so. They need to, they need to read that. Maybe I'll write them a note and put this little scripture reference at the bottom. Right? But we don't want to obey it. We want them to obey it. We've received biblical advice that we just didn't, didn't heed. We've, we, we've heard the Spirit's leading and we've quenched it. That's what the New Testament says. We've all done that. We all know what that's, what that's like. When our kids were little, we had this saying, I've shared it with y'all before, that, that to help them remember to obey, we would say, you know, when we told them to do something and there was that pause where they're trying to decide, are we going to do it or are we not going to do it? And if I don't do it, you know, will they give in or will they, you know, like all the things that go through their head? And I would say, we would say, obey right away, all the way and with a happy heart. That was just our little saying, obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And the reason we did that is we hoped that as they learned to obey us, when the Holy Spirit started talking to them, they would obey him in the same way, right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Well, one day Luke, our youngest, looked up at us, and he always has the most brilliant things that he, he, would, he says, still does. And he looked at us, and he's like, right away and all the way, I understand. It's the happy heart that's really hard. Right? I get it. Can I get an amen? Like, if online, get an amen? Like, like, it's the happy heart that's hard. Right? 
And so kids and adults and students, like, like that's the reality of walking with Jesus. Sometimes that happy heart, it's the hard part. But you see, to make a sacrificial decision to give up what you want for once you, what you need, you have to acknowledge that there's a want to in there somewhere deep. Right? That the Spirit is working somewhere deep in you. And part of the work in moving from what you want to what you need is to, is to take time and silence yourself to, to, to hear that want to that's in there deep and to give yourself space now what we see at some level next I hope will help you do that and help help you do that work because what we're going to do is we're going to jump from 11 chapter 11 verse 2 to chapter 27 uh, in chapter 12 so chapter 12 27 so if you're wondering how we're going to get through this in a timely manner where I just was on verse 2 in chapter 11 this is how because if you read that, you'll see that it's my nemesis in reading scripture out loud, a list of names, right? And so read those at your own leisure. They're great, and, and, and there's actually some great stuff there. But, but what you see is that this is the people who had their lot pulled, who had their tile pulled. This is the people who is God's will for them to move back into the city, and they did it willingly, Right, And so, so that's who this is. But what happens after these names have been drawn and after the people moved in and, and after this sacrificial decision has been made? Because I think here is where we see a reason to move our want to uh, to a need to, right? And, and it's this. Look at chapter 12, verse 27. All right, chapter 12, verse 27 says this. And at the dedication of the wall... Of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites and, and all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness and with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. Right? Uh, and, and so here we see the celebration going on. Right? The singers are gathered, the priests are there, the, the Levites are there, the people are there, and they're beginning to congregate. And jump down to verse 30 and look at what they do. In verse 30, it says this. It says, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people at the gates and the wall. And so, so you have this weird moment, right? Everybody's coming together, and what we're going to see is we're going to see this celebration. But before the celebration, there was this rite of purification that had to take place, because what was about to take place was considered worship. Y'all, and, and here's the great thing. Celebration is worship. Right? Worship can be celebration. And they had to purify themselves for it. And so, so they gathered together, but they understood something. They understood that, okay, we need to be clean. Right? We need to be purified. And, and for them, it was ritual baths and sacrifices. Uh, but those things were there for a reason, because they were to point them to their need for purification. They were to point them to their need of the fact that, that for all this history, for all the stuff that they've gone through, for, for all the stuff that God has taken them through, there is this part of them that didn't want to move from want to to need to. There is this reason that they needed to be purified. They needed to be cleaned and Here's what's interesting. This, this ceremony, this, this ritual didn't just point them that they needed to be clean on the outside. It was that they needed to be cleaned on the inside. Right? Which is what Jesus talked about with the religious leaders of his day. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 23. Um, and you can just listen uh, because it's a pretty short few verses that I'm going to read. Matthew 23 verses 27 through 28. But this is what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his time. He said, woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. 
but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. You also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you uh, are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Like, Jesus had some tough words for these guys, didn't he? He called them whitewashed tombs. He said, listen, you're, you're like one of those, those tombs, those mausoleums. You've seen them. They look beautiful on the outside. And we go and we look at the architecture. We think, wow, that's so pretty. And then we remember what's on the inside? Rotting bodies. And he said, that's you. You look like you have life. You look like everything is beautiful on the outside, but on the inside is death and decay. Why? Because they thought they just needed to be pure on the outside, not pure on the inside, not purified on the inside. And Jesus was, was calling them, them out on that. Now listen, we live in Asheville. We hike. We're outside a lot. Many of us work to look really good, right? Y'all come in here looking good because I don't know if you know, but y'all are a good-looking congregation, right? And at Fellowship, it is great to look good on the outside. That's fine. But as a church, we're much more concerned about what's happening on the inside. We're much more concerned about what's happening in your soul because as your pastor, it would break my heart to know that you look good on the outside but hadn't been purified on the inside. That the Spirit of God wasn't working in your heart and moving you towards more holiness and, and more righteousness. It would break my heart to see that. Now listen, I also don't expect perfection. I've read my Bible, right? I know I'm a sinner. I know you're a sinner. Like we sin. We're really good at it. But at fellowship, we have this, we have this saying that, that, that here with Jesus, you can be anything except a liar. Right? This is the place where we can talk about our failures, we can talk about our mistakes, we can talk about our sin because we've all got it. It's a level playing ground. And because we've got a Jesus who saves us from it. And a Jesus who walks with us and comforts us and leads us. You see, when Jesus called them hypocrites, it makes me ask the question, where am I a hypocrite? Or am I a hypocrite? And the answer is yes. Yes, I am. Yes, we are. Yes, we need Jesus. Because here's what he does. He makes us clean on the inside, right? He puts us, he puts us together on the inside, not just the outside. And for some of us, that's what Jesus has been rebuilding in this series is our spiritual life together. And so for you, if you haven't said yes to Jesus' offer of salvation, to Jesus' offer of life, then let today be the day that you do that and you invite him into your life as the Lord of your life, that he's the one that you're going to follow, and as the Savior of your life, not yourself. Because when you do, you get to experience this life-giving relationship with the God who loves you and the God who created you. And so when you say yes to Jesus' stirring, you begin becoming a different person because that's what happened to them. They said yes to Jesus' stirring and, and they saw all that had been happening in their, heart, in their heart and they still needed to be purified, as do we. So a sacrificial decision, like that question that you have, I want to do this, but I need to do this, what that does is it exposes your need for a purified heart. It exposes your need to turn to Jesus in the process. It exposes your need to embrace this relationship with God in the process of making 
that decision. And so back to my example, my laziness shows me I need a purified heart. My laziness shows me I am not perfect. And any illusion that I think I have is destroyed in a simple moment of walking in the door and wanting to sit down and sit on the couch instead of serving my family. I need Jesus. Church, we need Jesus. Do you agree with that? Yeah. You see, if you're stuck in not wanting to follow God, I need you to understand this. You're not wanting to. You're wanting to stay with what you want to do and not wanting to do what you need to do is a sign that your heart still needs to be purified. It's a sign that you still need Jesus. And, get this, it's actually an opportunity to be with Jesus. That's the whole point of it. It's not to just say that you need Jesus because he's left you. It's to show you that Jesus has been there all along. He's been the prodigal father looking out for the prodigal son. And he's been there waiting for you to turn. And so the moment you say, I need you, Jesus, he is there because he never left. And so it's an opportunity to be with Jesus. And when you do that, you get to experience more of a purified heart when you let Jesus move your not want to to a want to do what you need to do. And so if you're stuck and you're not want to, maybe, maybe your desire to have a purified heart, uh, maybe this will help you move uh, to a need to. Because watch what, watch what happens next in verse 31. In verse 31, I'm going to read uh, verse 31 through 38 and it says this it says then I brought the leaders of Judah up into the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks one went to the south uh, on the wall of the Dungate the other went with whatever that name is and half the leaders of Judah and there's some a list of names that will go down pop down to verse 38 and the other choir who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens uh, to the broad wall. And so, so here's, what, here's what happens. Nehemiah has this group of choirs, right? And they divide into two groups. And, and, and uh, let's put that picture of uh, the city of Jerusalem up there. Um, because you see, if you can see it, you see this wall goes all the way around. And so they started in one point, uh, and they walked one choir on, on one side, one choir on the other side. They walked across the top of the wall all the way to where the temple is at the end. And so as they're walking, they're singing. And so if you were in the city, you would see the choir up on the wall singing and walking as they, as they, as they went and, and as they went towards the temple. And so here's what I love about this. Imagine yourself right, being one of those choir members, right? Imagine yourself walking on a wall that wasn't there just a few weeks before. Imagine yourself walking, taking step by step and remembering Samballot and Tobiah. Remember them? And they always tried to distract us. And remember how God showed up every single time. And as you took these steps on this wall, you'd be like, this wall wasn't here a few weeks ago. God did this. Remember when we had to build the wall with, with bricks in one hand and swords in the other and God protected us. And as you walked, each step that you took, you would remember what God did and it would build this, this thankfulness up in you. You would remember all the work that God had done, his, how you were distracted and he, and he focused you again, how you were scared and he, he protected you. 
and how you prayed and God answered and it built this trust in you because you realized the, the sin of the nation and you repented of it and, and it was this moment of worship and it was incredible, right? And as they remembered, they celebrated. Can you, can you feel it? Can you feel the, the celebration that was there of what God had done? Because you see, here's what a sacrificial decision does. When you're, when you're I don't want to, right? When you want to, moves to a need to, you experience this thankfulness because you see what God has done. That's what it did for them, it, that a sacrificial decision leads to a thankful to heart. And I say thankful because remember, I mean, I say leads to because remember, sometimes a happy heart takes time, right? And so it is this, this process and sometimes God's rebuilding takes, takes time. And you see these folks made sacrificial decision after sacrificial decision after sacrificial decision. And sometimes that takes time. Y'all, is anybody weary? Right? Anybody tired of making sacrificial decisions? It takes time. But God is at work. And God is moving in that. You see, when you see God work, what it automatically produces is thankfulness. Now look what that thankfulness turns into. Pop down to verse 43. Verse 43 says this. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Y'all, what was heard far away? The what of Jerusalem? The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Now keep in mind, when we started chapter 11, they were casting lots to see who was going to move back into town. And now there is this joy that can be heard. Right? You see, their response to God's will with a willing heart and allowing themselves to be purified in that and, and thankfulness, it produced this joy. It produced what I would imagine seemed impossible. Right? Because when you're weary from making decisions, joy doesn't seem like the next step, does it? But it's there. It's there. You see, anytime you lay down what you want for what God needs, the final result may not cross your mind, but it is this, that a sacrificial decision today produces joy tomorrow. Now, this nation of Israel, all the trials they had gone through, all their responding to God's will, not responding to God's will, and responding again to God's will and to God's stirring, it produced this joy in them. They're exchanging what they wanted for what God asked them to do. They're, they're needing uh, exchange this joy. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, this is the end of almost every Star Wars movie, right? It's the final scene where the Ewoks are playing their drums. The, the, the Gungans are bringing those cool little light balls to, 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 to celebrate, right? And, and the fireworks are going off Chewbacca's roaring, their X-wings are flying by. It's this moment, right? That's what's happening here. It's joy. But it's joy because there had been sacrificial decisions that God had been a part of the entire time. And they got to see God work and they got to realize, y'all, we are a part of what God did. How cool is that? I think about this, the fact that we've got people watching online, the people we've got here, the fact that 18 months ago or 19 months ago, however long it was, we had no idea what was ahead. But y'all, God is at work and God is doing this and we all got to be a part of it. 
And for me, that produces thankfulness. For me, that produces joy. And in these series, we, this series, we've talked about what God is stirring in you and what God is rebuilding and that he's doing something in each of us. And I truly believe that. And I hope you've got to experience that. I hope you've got to answer that question. What is God stirring in me? What is God rebuilding in me? And so what I want you to do is I want you to, to put that thing in your mind or one of those things. And, and for some of you, you've written them on the board back there that God is stirring love. God is stirring plans. God is stirring. I love this one. Somebody wrote back there, Bible reading, right? That God is stirring someone to read their Bible. And then someone who I imagine lives in their family wrote under it, and he's doing it. To which I added a smiley face. Like, that's fun, right? That, that God is stirring something in someone, and it's happening. Um, we also have another one up there. I mean, we've got a ton up there. That God is rebuilding how we do family. He's rebuilding health. He's rebuilding family time. He's rebuilding my ability to forgive. And so whatever your thing is, I want you to put that in your head right now. What is God stirring in you? What is God rebuilding in you? Because here's the deal. As God is rebuilding this, you're going to be faced with sacrificial decisions. There are going to be times where you don't want to do what God is asking you to do. You don't want to do what God is needing you to do. In those decisions, you're going to be asked to lay down what you want for what God needs. And sometimes when that happens, we get stuck in making that decision. And so what I want to do is, is for those of you who have that thing that, that God is stirring, and maybe you feel stuck in it, and you, you, many of you think you know what God is calling you to do, you, you have a pretty good hunch, you know, does it line up with his word, does it line up with what God is stirring in you, does it line up with what others, have you talked to, to others that you trust that can give you godly counsel about it, but there's still something in you where you find, yeah, I'm just not sure. Right? I'm just not sure. I'm not sure I want to. I'm not sure I need to. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure I'm stuck. What I want to do is pray over us as a congregation. And I want to pray over those reasons we get stuck. A lot of the reasons that we've seen up here, a lot of the reasons that, that, that we've seen in Ezra and Nehemiah. And I want to encourage you through this time of prayer, and I want us to sit silently and realize that, that Jesus is with us. Right? And, and the, the thing that I'm using uh, to symbolize this message that I'll add up there is a clamp, right? Because sometimes these tough decisions feel like a little bit of pressure, don't they? Right? But what we have to remember is that Jesus is with us. And so I want to give us a moment to experience that and to engage with the Jesus that's with us. And so if you'll all bow your heads with us, and, and if you're watching online, please stay with us during this part because I want to pray uh, for you too. And so, so we'll do that, and then we'll go into a time of, of worship through song. So let's pray. Jesus, um, you are in this room and you are with those who are watching and listening from wherever they are. And I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would make your presence tangible to us. That we would know you are in the room with us. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to guide this time of prayer that we would pray over things that are specifically needed in people's lives. And I pray maybe for the first time, maybe someone would experience the presence of you. 
the God who loves them and the God who has always been with them and the God who created them. And they would experience your love and mercy and kindness. And for those of us who know it, I pray that in this silence, uh, we would remember it. So Jesus, um, some of us in this room are just simply distracted. We're distracted from following you because um, we've got little ones in the house. We've got busy jobs. We've got lots of things. And those things are good, but they're not great. And they're not ultimate. Life with you is ultimate. And so God, I ask that that you would give us focus instead of distraction. And we would let the gospel be our, 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 our springboard to return to you time and time again because, because we are a distracted people. I am a distractible person. It does not take much for me to draw my attention away from you. And yet, you're always there and you're always present and you're always welcoming me, me back with a smile on your face. And so I pray, Father, that whoever's distracted would realize that you are smiling, not frowning, not scorning, not mad or mean, but you are welcoming them back like the father welcomed back the prodigal son and that they would run to you. Or maybe, maybe there are people here that uh, just simply don't want to lay down their comfort for what it is that you are asking them to do. They, they, they kind of like what life is right now. But Father, you are asking them for something better. Would, would you give them just, just even a glimpse of hope and joy for what tomorrow may look like? For life, walking with you, knowing that this is what you have asked them to do. May they pick up what you need them to do. And so, Father, for them, I pray for clarity. I pray that you give them a very clear next step. And then, and then they have the faith to take that next step. And for them, I pray that the gospel is their source of power to take that step. That they realize that Jesus is with them right where they are. And he is with them right where he wants them to be. And that, Father, if need be, that they just hold your hand with everything they got. And they walk with you like a little toddler walking with a parent. They take that step with you. And Father, maybe it's just simple sin that they don't want to put behind them. Maybe it's sin of what they're doing with their body. Maybe it's sin of what they're putting in their body. Maybe uh, who knows what it is, but they know that it's sin. And, and that sin is fun. And that sin is good. And they want you, they want it more than they want you. God, I pray in this moment that they would realize uh, that you are better. That you are the good news. And I pray for them that they will remember that there is a celebration in forgiveness. I think of a baptism where people go down in silence and they come up to a party. 
That when they choose righteousness and they choose to walk with you, that heaven applauds and cheers them on. That great cloud of witnesses is there cheering them on. And so, Father, let the gospel be the power for, for them to realize that they are accepted and they can change. And so, Spirit, as other people need other things, would you minister to them directly? Would you encourage them where they need encouragement? Would you, realize that, would you help them realize that you were there with them, smiling, loving, liking them? Would you give them conviction where they need conviction? And that they would realize that you are there loving and smiling and liking them as well. And Father, would all of this be to your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.